to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 6th of April 2014, entitled Missionaries, Ambassadors for Christ. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. Here's Brother Michael Schmidt. Our Bible text this morning is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart." For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, Know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, we know him no more. Know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I would just like to pray again. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you speak to us through your word. I would ask now that you would take all distractions away, and I pray that we would have an open, open ears and open heart to receive your word and to listen to what you have to say to us today. I pray that you would give me the right words, and uh, help me to share from your word the things that you have shown me. And I pray that you would be speaking today, and not just only speaking words, but also changing hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The message this morning is divided into three um, parts. first two will be rather short, the third one a bit longer. First of all, we will look at the need for missions, and then we will look at the message of missions and then we will look a bit more at the messengers of missions. So first of all, the need for missions. Why is there a need for missions? Um, maybe the first thing that comes to mind, and what we have also shared earlier, is that Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous. There's so many people that are lost and dying. And um, But before we come to that, I want to to look at how this passage that we started reading here in verse 11 starts out. It says um, in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade 
men. He says here, we, Paul is saying, we are persuading men. We are trying to reach others to tell them about Christ and show them that they need Christ. And what is the reason why we do that? It's because we know the terror of the Lord. We know the fear of the Lord. And so I'd like to say this morning that the first reason for missions is that God is to be feared. God is to be feared by unbelievers as well as by believers. Um, we as Christians are to fear God. Now, how are we as Christians to fear God? Not in a sense that if we know Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear that we will be lost and go to hell. That's not what we have to fear. But there's still a certain fear that we as believers need to have. And in German, there's a word that captures um, this idea very well. It's called Ehrfurcht. And um, it consists of two parts. Ehre, the first part, Ehr, means honor, and Furcht, the second part, means fear. So there's a certain part that is a fear that, as, um, as a child of God, you fear going away from the paths that God has for you, the, the paths that God the Father has shown you. You fear that if you disobey him, he will chastise you to bring you back um, on the right way, on the right path. And of course, he does so in love um, to, in order for our best. And then there's the second part of honoring God. Um, when we fear God, we want to honor him and we want to glorify him. And there's that. That is also the reason for missions, that we want to reach others because other people, we want other people to honor God, to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper starts out the first chapter with these words. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. That is why we want to do missions. That is why we want to reach others, so that God will be worshipped um, by all men in the world. And, but then, of course, that is how believers are to fear God. Unbelievers are to fear God also, and they don't fear God. They live their lives as though God does not exist, but they are to fear God because they are sinning against God. Day to day, they are committing acts of rebellion against God, and they're, they're building them up in their lives. And one day, the day will come when God will judge them, when God will judge the sins of each person. And he knows every, every single sin, every thought. And so God will judge all men. And if they are, do, not, do not have the salvation in Christ, then, then they will be lost forever. And there is also then a sense that there is a need for missions, of course, because there are many people that are dying and going to hell without Jesus. And that is happening today. In the world today, there are over 6,000 languages spoken worldwide, representing over 7 billion people. And out of these more than 6,000 languages, only 513 have the complete word of God. And there's another 1,294 that have a New Testament and another 1,010 that have portions of the Bible, and another 2,167 where work is in progress. Translation is being done. But there's still a huge need, there's still a possible need 
of over just maybe over 1,900 languages that don't have anything of God's word in their language. And there, according to the Joshua Project, there's over 3 billion people in the world that are considered unreached by the gospel. So the need for missions is that God is to be feared and honored and men are dying and need to be saved. And we'll look now at the second part, is the message of missions. And we see in, at the end of the verses of, the, of this chapter that we read, we see very clearly that the message of missions is reconciliation with God. We just look at those verses 18 to 20 again. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ said, Be ye reconciled to God. That is the message of missions. Be reconciled to God. It says also in verse 19 that through Christ our sins are not counted against us. It says that God did not impute the trespasses unto them. Through Christ, the sins of people, they are not counted against them. How can that be? And we see the answer in verse 21 where it says that God has made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It says here that Jesus was made sin for us. Now this is hard for us to understand. It's hard for me to understand. What does that exactly mean? That Jesus, the sinless son of God, that says he was made sin for us. Here's a similar passage, I think, that also help us understand that, what it means in 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 22 to 24. And it's talks, it starts out similarly, speaking about Jesus Christ, who was sinless. It says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And then it says, Who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree. So here it says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. I think that's what it means when it says Jesus became sin for us. It means that he took our sins on himself when he died on the cross. And not just our sins, but also the wrath of God on sin. And, and he, he endured the wrath of God um, against sin. And then it says... Um, who in his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. And that is also the passage in Second Corinthians 5 at the end, the verse that it says, he, he in verse 21, Second um, Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there's an exchange. Jesus Christ takes our sins on himself. 
and instead he gives us his righteousness. That is um, the doctrine of justification, which we read about also in Romans chapter 3, and um, that Jesus takes all of our sins onto himself and endures and suffers the just punishment against sin. And so there's no more condemnation for us. There's no more judgment, no more wrath that we have to endure because Jesus has paid it all. And in our stead, the righteous life that Jesus lived, his righteousness is imputed, is counted in our, on our account, put into our account. And we can stand before God as though we lived the same righteous life that Jesus lived. Through Christ, we receive a new life and we become different persons. We see that also in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. And, he, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So all of a sudden, people who come to know Christ, there's a change in their life. They don't live for themselves anymore. Everybody, pretty much everybody in this world who does not know Christ, they live for themselves. It's our natural the way we are, and we live for our own good. And yet when we come to know Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, but we want to live for him. The change that is, uh, we experience in our lives. It also says in verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So there's a complete change that comes about when we come to Christ, when we are saved and receive a new heart and are born again. To be in Christ not just changes your destination from hell to heaven, but it changes your life on this earth. It changes the person himself who comes to Christ. And the question is, have you experienced that in your life? That is the most important thing that you must experience. Um, if you have not experienced that, then... I'm sure, please don't, don't wait too long. There are people here, Pastor Larry and others in the church, that would love to help you to see how you can be saved, how you can receive this new life that Jesus offers. But I'd like to look now, a longer look at the messengers of missions, also called missionaries sometimes. But what, who or what actually is a missionary? The word is not to be found in the Bible. Um, it occurred for the first time in the year 1598 when the Jesuits in Spain sent people to South America. And they were called missionaries. They were, the, the word missio in Latin means an assignment, a commission. So they had a certain assignment when they were being sent somewhere else. And that is the idea of a missionary. He is somebody who has been given an assignment, a commission by God. But who then is a missionary? Um, sometimes when I, when I speak in churches about missions and people present me, um, introduce me as a missionary, um, people think, okay, these are the missionaries, we're not missionaries. And other people um, see it differently. And, and I, I encounter two statements a lot when I, when I visit churches and speak with people about missionaries, about what it means to be a missionary. Two statements I encounter that are actually true, but they're also dangerous. And um, the first statement that I hear is people say, I am not a missionary, like you. You are going to Mexico 
Um, you're leaving your country, you're going to another people group, you have to learn a language, and you're going there to, to share the gospel with people, to make disciples. I'm just here at home. I'm in my job. I'm not leaving anywhere. I'm not a missionary. In a sense, that is a true statement because missionaries are often seen as those that go and leave their country and go somewhere else. But there's also danger in that, in saying, I'm not a missionary, and thinking, well, therefore, I don't have to share the gospel with other people. That is the job. That's your job. That's the job of the pastor or the elders or missionaries. But I'm just a normal Christian. I don't have to be as involved in sharing the gospel with others. So it's maybe a true statement, but there's a danger of neglecting missions at home, of sharing the gospel at home with your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends, your family. And then there's another statement that I hear a lot. Um, people say, well, we are all missionaries. We're all missionaries here. We're all Christians, and we're all missionaries. And I believe that is also a, a true statement because we are all called to do the things that missionaries do, as we will have a closer look later. But then I believe there's a danger in saying, well, we're all missionaries. Um, you don't need to. There's nothing special about missionaries going to another country. Everybody can just stay at home and be a missionary where they are. And, uh, and we'll just be missionaries at home. But there's a danger because that means that there, people where there are no Christians will never hear. There are places in, this, or in, this, in the world where there are people living without Christ and there are no Christians living among them. And therefore, there is a need for missionaries to be sent into another culture, another country, to where there are no Christians at all. So there's, there's a danger in saying we're all Christians in neglecting that important work. You can, it's good to focus on the work that's being done at home that you need to do in this area in your neighborhood, but also don't forget those people that are out there where there are no Christians whatsoever. Now, I would like us to take a look at the marks of a missionary and from this text to see what is a missionary. And um, I hope as we look at these things, I have eight points in total, um, eight marks of a missionary, we will see that the marks of a missionary are really also the marks of a Christian. And maybe we will see some of these and we'll say, well, maybe that doesn't apply so much to me or I can't see myself quite in that way. Um, I do believe that these are the marks of, the, of a Christian, are the same as the marks of the missionary, but you will not always see them perfectly lived out in your life. You will not always see them immediately as soon as you become a Christian that these marks of a missionary or marks of a Christian can be seen to the fullest degree in every aspect, in every area of your life, at all times. When we become Christians, we don't become perfect. We don't become sinless. It's a growth. It's called sanctification. And so when we look at these points, we can also consider, how can I grow in this area? How can I become more like a missionary, more like a Christian? Um, so the first point, um, the marks of a missionary, number one, a missionary knows his God. In verse 11a, it says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. That's how it starts out with knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing that God is to be feared. And um, a missionary knows that and he wants to honor God, as we've seen earlier. He knows what God has done for him and he has a love for God to serve him. 
that is the greatest commandment that we have, is to love God. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. That is the most important thing that we are to do as Christians, not just as missionaries, but all Christians are to love God with all their heart. And that is something that none of us do perfectly, but we should be growing in. Um, so do you know your God? And do you want to love and honor him more and more? And secondly, a missionary is one who seeks to reach the lost. A missionary seeks to reach the lost. Again, the same verse, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So he knows his God and therefore it moves him to persuade men, to tell other people about Jesus Christ, to tell them that they must turn away from their sins and trust in the Savior. And that is the second greatest commandment, is to love our neighbors. Jesus continued the same statement I mentioned earlier in Matthew 22, and he said, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So those are the two basic things in life of a Christian and of a missionary, to love God and to love your neighbor, to love other people. Now, I can understand that it is easier for me, probably, to, and for many, to love God than to love other people. If we come to know God, if we've come to see what God has done in our lives, how he's forgiven us completely, how he's been good to us, how he's been faithful, we ha should naturally respond with love to him. But men, people, they are not like God. They are sinners and Maybe even in our family, in our friends, people disappoint us. And then there's those that don't even, that are directly against us. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus. They make fun of us. They are maybe antagonistic towards Christians. How can we love people if Jesus calls us to love these people, to love all people? Um, and one of the leaders of Youth with a Mission, his name is John Dawson, he said the following, Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a love for the lost? This is a term we use as part of our Christian jargon. Many believers search their hearts in condemnation, looking for the arrival of some feeling of benevolence that will propel them into bold evangelism. It will never happen. It is impossible to love the lost. You can't feel deeply for an abstraction or a concept. You would find it impossible to love deeply an unfamiliar individual portrayed in a photograph, let alone a nation or a race or something as vague as all lost people. Don't wait for a feeling of love in order to share Christ with a stranger. You already love your Heavenly Father and you know that this stranger is created by Him, but separated from Him. So take those first steps in evangelism because you love God. It is not primarily out of a compassion for humanity that we share our faith or pray for the lost. It is first of all love for God. Because we love God, that will enable us to love other people. And um, that will enable us to love strangers, people we don't even have an idea who they are. We may just meet in the street and have a quick opportunity to share the gospel. And we can love people in faraway countries we've never seen. We can love people that are 
against us that may be considered our enemies? Do you have a desire to reach people for Jesus? The third part, third point, a missionary does not seek the recognition of other people. We'll look at verse uh, 11b and 12. Let's just look at verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. So Paul says here, we commend not ourselves again unto you. We're not speaking great about ourselves. We're not boasting. We don't want to be seen as great people. Um, Now he does say then later on, it sounds like he is doing that by saying, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf. But he's just saying here that there are people that are discrediting maybe his work or speaking evil about himself, about the Christian workers. And he's just saying, if you need to defend what we're doing, this is what we're doing. And you can tell the truth to them. Um, But we're not seeking the recognition of other people by, by sharing that. And the missionary also, he does not seek the recognition of other people by, by serving the Lord, by trying to reach other people. He does it for the Lord. And um, now that doesn't mean that he doesn't share about the things that he's involved in. And that's why missionaries write prayer letters and say, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. Please pray for us here. Be a part of the work. Missionaries don't do that to boast about their work, but they do it for to, to know that other people are informed, that they can pray well, and because prayer is very important. We see very clearly that Paul was not one who boasted. Um, he said in Romans fifteen seventeen to 19, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he shares what he has done, the works he has done, the deeds, the words, even mighty signs and wonders. He speaks about those things, but he says that they were done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will not speak about anything that Jesus Christ has not done. He gives Jesus Christ the honor for everything that he accomplishes in his work. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Again, he speaks about his work and how much he worked, how much he labored, and yet he says, it's only by the grace of God. It's all the glory goes to him. So a missionary loves God. A missionary loves other people, tries to reach other people. A missionary does not seek recognition from other people. And number four, a missionary is not normal. Or a missionary, maybe we could say, is crazy. Um, this is a verse that has many, often I wondered what is really being said here. In verse 13, it says, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Being beside ourselves, that's not being normal. That is being different than other people. Um, You might say being crazy in some ways. And it is true that missionaries or Christians, when they follow Christ, when they don't live for themselves, 
that they are considered as being crazy by other people. Um, the gospel is foolishness in the eyes of the world. They hear the preaching of the cross, and it is foolishness to them, it says. Paul stood um, in front of a governor called Festus in Acts, and, and this uh, governor, he said to him, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He was sharing the gospel, and the reaction by the governor was, you're crazy, that's just ridiculous. Um, you're not normal. And people will see us that way. When we share Christ, when we live for Christ, we will be seen not just as different, but as crazy. And we may be mocked and laughed at. Missionaries, especially also when they leave their home, they leave their possessions, their career, their family, their friends. They go into a culture completely different, don't even know the language, don't know the people. And they do that for Christ. And as I've spoken with spoken with other people about that, and even Christians, some Christians have thought, wow, you're doing that? That's, that's crazy. Why did you give up your, your job or so? And much more the world, they may be more polite. Often my non-Christian friends, I tell them about what we want to do, and they say, oh, yeah, that's great. And, uh, but you know what they're thinking. They're not really thinking, that's great. Uh, I want to support you and pray for you. Um, they're think, just being polite and um, they're thinking, most of them, that you're crazy. They have no idea why we would want to do that. And non-Christians would have no idea why you would want to come to church in the morning, why you would want to go to a prayer meeting, why you want to share God's Word with them. And being a missionary or being a Christian also involves suffering. Jesus never promised us that it would be an easy life following him. There will be suffering, and so why would people want to follow Christ if, if it means suffering? Why not just take the easy way out? So in a sense, this does seem crazy to the world, but it is, it's crazy, but it's not crazy. Because Jesus said, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is something that seems crazy, but Jesus then says for Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. This morning in Sunday school, uh, Steve was sharing about Asaph in Psalm 73, how he was looking at the other people in the world and being envious of them, and because they had it so good, they had everything they needed, it seemed. And, uh, but then he considered their end, and then he realized, actually... We as Christians, as followers of God, we have it far better than they do. We know where we are going, and we have the promise, the hope of eternal life, and they should actually be envious of us. So it is not crazy to follow God. It's not crazy to take suffering on yourself and, and hardships in this life for the sake of, the, of eternal life. One of the verses also that motivated me into missions um, as I was wondering, maybe if I go to missions, how will it be? It's, there's a lot of insecurity in leaving your job, giving up your career and saying, I want to go to missions. Because if you want to join a mission agency, they're not, most cases, they don't give you a salary. They, they say, okay, find uh, people who support you. And, uh, and so maybe I, I wondered also, okay, where is that going to come from? The, the, the support that I need, maybe I'll go out wanting to serve God as a missionary, and there won't be enough people to support me, and I won't have the necessary support, and they'll say, well, sorry, 
you can't go, you just stay at home, we can't send you out if you don't have the support. And then maybe I was thinking, okay, then maybe I'll go back and I won't get my old job again and maybe I'll be unemployed and, and that may be, um, well, that is a risk maybe in a sense. And um, but then I, I read um, in Mark 10, 29 to 30, and Jesus said, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. God gives a very clear promise in this world. It's, it's worth giving up things for the sake of the gospel, even taking risks. And even, I came to understand, even if I take this risk, and if it doesn't work out that I go out into missions, and I am unemployed in Germany, God says, you will have a hundredfold for giving up those things, and especially also in, in eternal life. Jim Elliot, famous missionary who was murdered by the Indians he tried to reach in 1956, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So it sounds foolish maybe to the world or maybe even to some Christians to give up things for Christ, but it is not foolish at all. Um, the fifth mark of a missionary. A missionary adapts himself. Um, let's have a look at what I mean by that. Um, verse 13, the second, uh, let's read verse 13 again. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. So a missionary or a Christian is willing to be foolish, considered foolish, out of love to God. But then it says, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. So there are times, it says, when he is not acting maybe more normal to the eyes of the world. Um, and a missionary is somebody who adapts himself to other people. He, he does not cause unnecessary offense. Um, he tries to, to see the world as other people see the world. He tries to, to live as much and identify as much as he can with the people he is trying to reach. Paul was, again, a great example in that. Um, he said how he became all things to all men that he may reach others. Uh, he said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 to 23, I'd like to read those verses, how you can see how he adapts his life to all different kinds of people groups that he's trying to reach. And he always does that in order to reach them. 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak, I am made all things to all men, that I might by some, by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. So there's all these different kinds of people groups and, that he's trying to reach, and he becomes like them. 
and he changes maybe his, his lifestyle or his, his words, his manners, things he eats um, or he doesn't eat, not to cause offense and to, to show as much as he can, I'm just a person like you. This does not mean adapting to other people does not mean that we join in their sinful lifestyle. It doesn't mean that we join in their false religious beliefs or false worship. But um, it means that we don't cause unnecessary offense. So maybe a good example in Paul's time was with eating meat, um, eating pork. Um, Jews would never eat pork, so maybe he saw, he knew he was free to eat it, but if he tried to reach this person, he said, okay, I'm, although I'm free to do this, I will not cause an offense to this person because I want to reach him. And um, even that issue, eating pork, may be very appropriate here in Birmingham with many Muslims. Um, if you're trying to reach a Muslim person, it would not be a good idea to, to have a meal and eat pork with him. Um, and there are many other things that are not, maybe where you have a right to do something, where you are free as a Christian to do things, but where you say, no, for the sake of this person, in order to reach him, I will try to be as much as I can like him, to see the world through his eyes and to, to share Christ on that level with him. And point number six, a missionary is moved by the love of Christ. In verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Um, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The love of Christ constraineth us. That's what moves a missionary. That's what moves a Christian to action. And the love of Christ in the Greek grammar, it can be understood in two ways. It can be understood as the love of Christ, as mean our love to Christ is what moves us, but it can also be understood and have the meaning that Christ's love for us is what moves us. And I believe it is more the second that it is Christ's love to us that moves us, because that is far greater even than our love to him. And it speaks about that in verse 15, his love for us, and that he died for all. Um, so are you controlled? Are you moved by the love of Christ? What motivates you to share the gospel with other people? Is there anything that even motivates you? Why do you want to do that? I was reading another book um, and the person was saying how to shame, how maybe if somebody offered you 50 pounds for every time you shared the gospel with somebody, would that make you more active in evangelism? And in our human heart and our sinful nature, we would probably be more, okay, I can earn a lot of money that way. Um, I'll be more involved. And that may motivate people. But that's not, of course, nobody does that. But we see how easily we are motivated by other things, be it money or other things. But it should be the love of Christ, his love to us. When we consider what he has done for us, how much he loves us, that should motivate us in what we do and how we live. And number seven, a missionary sees the world much differently. We'll look in verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. So Paul is saying here, before he knew people, he knew Christ after the flesh, according to the flesh, in a certain way. 
He looked at Christ and he saw Christ as the world sees Christ, maybe as a, as a good man, as a prophet, as a teacher. Um, he saw him in that way and says, now I don't see him that way anymore. Now I see Christ as the Son of God, as a Savior, as my friend, as King. Um, and similar with other people. Maybe before we regarded other people according to the flesh, we see people come in and say, oh yeah, these people, they are part of my family, they're close to me. These people, yeah, they're my colleagues, I get along well with them. These are my friends, I enjoy having spending time with them. Or in the, and these people in my family or among my colleagues or among my friends, they're the rich ones, I can see that, and, uh, and they're not so rich, they're, they're pretty poor off, and we classify people into certain ways. And, and um, then Paul says, now we know no man after the flesh. We don't look at people in that way anymore. There's only two ways we look at people. We, know, we see the people that are saved, the people that know Jesus Christ, the people that are part of our, our family in God, and the people that are lost and dying. When we see anybody, no matter who he is, rich or poor, family, friend, enemy, whatever, we look at this person and we think, either this person knows God or he doesn't, and that's how we should relate to them. Um, and even the world, we consider the world differently. We, before we knew Christ, we looked at the world and we were wanting to make a career, um, secure a livelihood, um, enjoy life. And now when we know Christ, we realize this world is not everything. This world has some things to offer, but it is nothing in comparison to what awaits us in the future. And that is also what Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. He says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. So all the things in the world, they're rubbish, they're nothing, they're dung to the Apostle Paul. He says what, is, what counts is knowing Christ. And um, even living a life of suffering or making sacrifices is considered differently when we know Christ. Before we know Christ, we look maybe at people, missionaries, who make sacrifices, and we wonder, why do they do that? Um, um, or what great people they must be. But David Livingstone, he was a missionary in the 19th century in Africa. And um, many people looked at him and said, oh, you made great sacrifice being a missionary out there in Africa for so many years. And he said the following. He said, for my own part... I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. 
but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. That's what David Livingston said. Everybody's talking about the great sacrifices that he's made, and he sees it completely differently and says, I've never made a sacrifice. It is a joy, it is an honor to, to live in that way, to serve God, to give my life for the gospel's sake. And finally, the last mark of a missionary. A missionary is an ambassador for God. We've seen that earlier also. A missionary is an ambassador. That means also he's a messenger. He has a message. Um, and he has this message on behalf of Christ. And he's imploring and beseeching people to be reconciled to God. His message is that of, a, of reconciliation. Um, but an ambassador is more than just a messenger. It's more than just a person who brings a message from one person to another. Um, an ambassador is a representative of the sovereign, of the, the ruler who sent him. And so in the Roman Empire, um, I read that there were different kinds of provinces. There were senatorial provinces and there were imperial provinces. The senatorial provinces, they were governed by the Senate in Rome, by the Parliament, whatever you may call it. Um, and they, these provinces were provinces that had submitted to the rule of Rome. They had um, stopped fighting against Rome, and they were just in order and in line with what Rome told them to do, how to live. They were governed by the Senate. But then there were these imperial provinces where the people were still not really um, sub, um, submitting to the rule of Rome. They were always still fighting against Rome and um, revolting. And it was to these provinces, these imperial provinces, that the emperor sent ambassadors. And he sent these ambassadors to keep these provinces under control. Now, we as Christians, we are also sent as ambassadors by God, by the sovereign of all the universe. And we are sent to a people that are still in rebellion against God. And we are sent also with a message of reconciliation, a message of forgiveness and of hope. And we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, of the King of all kings. That is a tremendous honor and a tremendous privilege, but also a tremendous responsibility. Because our King Jesus has given us an assignment. We read at the end of Matthew, words we know very well, and he, and he says, our King Jesus has this assignment for us. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Are you obeying this commission? Are you taking part in missions? Are you um, fulfilling your duty as an ambassador for Christ? Missions starts outside of your doorstep. It starts in your neighborhood, where you work, your friends, your family. You don't have to go to the ends of the world to be a missionary, to be an ambassador. And missions also, it does not stop outside of your doorstep, but it does also include the whole world. 
missions is for all peoples. Who will go into missions and who will hold the ropes for those that go? This quote of holding the ropes comes from William Carey, um, missionary to India in the 18th and 19th century. And he heard a missions report about the needs in India. And the person who was speaking, he said, there is a gold mine in India, but it seems almost as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? And William Carey answered and said, I will venture to go down, but remember that you must hold the ropes. Holding the ropes means supporting, helping, praying those missionaries that go down into the well, that go into a faraway place where they don't have a church or the support that you may have here. Um, John Piper said there's only three kinds of Christians when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. Which kind, which group do you belong to? God's goal is to be worshipped and to be glorified in the world by all nations. Is that also your goal? And how are you um, having a part in seeing this goal fulfilled? Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have loved us first, and I thank you that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. Thank you for opening our eyes to the gospel, and thank you that we can know forgiveness of our sins and that we can know that we are your children and have the hope of eternal life. And yet you call us to more than that. You call us to be ambassadors. You call us to be messengers of your yeah, your gospel. And I pray that each one of us would reconsider how we are fulfilling that and that you would motivate us, encourage us, and uh, strengthen us so that we can be faithful ambassadors for you in the, in the locations and areas of influences that you have given us and with the abilities and um, things that you have given us. Thank you that you will also help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.